Systemic racism is nothing new. Jesus had to deal with it during his time on earth. Governments and churches are trying to eliminate systemic racism through their various programs and laws, but with little success. Listen now to discover one possible and positive step you can take to help eliminate systemic racism from the land. Today we want to talk about them people over there. You know, the ones that we don't like. The ones we're not supposed to like. Prejudice is a common human trait. Now, I'm not justifying it. I'm just stating a fact. The word prejudice in its simple form means to prejudge someone or something before all the facts are known or experienced. We most often use this word when referring to someone's dislike of a particular group, whatever that group happens to be. The word prejudice is defined as aversive or hostile attitude toward a person who belongs to a group simply because he belongs to that group and is therefore presumed to have the objectionable qualities ascribed to that group. Now I'm sure each of us are all too familiar with how that plays out in our society. After 9-11, all Middle Easterners were despised, especially those who wore turbans on their heads. They were called ragheads, which is not an especially endearing term. Currently, in our small town, there's a prejudice developing against homes for troubled youth. Because there have been allegations of abuse in various forms and intensity, it is being assumed that anyone involved in these homes is guilty. Now, the problem is that our justice system, at least here in America, is set up so that you are innocent until proven guilty. Prejudice, however, allows for an allegation to be taken as fact and then tried in the court of public opinion long before the lawyers have accumulated evidence one way or another. And with today's social media, being tried in the court of a public opinion happens almost instantaneously when an allegation is made. As soon as something breaks on the news, social media is ablaze with thoughts and opinions and uh, people begin to take off with those things. Prejudice itself helps us to feel good about our opinion, especially when we can find other people who agree with our opinion. Prejudice, especially racial prejudice, is a learned behavior which is passed down from generation to generation. We all know how that is the case here in our country, especially with black Americans. But it's also true in many other countries, and especially those who maintain their ethnicity. Ethnicity. Um, there's rac- racial prejudice among those countries and tribes and what have you. 
Now, this kind of prejudice that we're talking about is actually a subtext from the gospel reading today. It was found there where in Luke 17, it was said, Jesus says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, we know that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and ten lepers met him, but one of them came back, and he said, referred to him as this foreigner. The foreigner to whom Jesus referred was a Samaritan, a person from Samaria. Now, we don't necessarily know where the other lepers were from, but the implication seems to be that this one was the foreigner, and the rest were... Um, from Judah, Israel, somewhere in that area, because it specifically pointed out that he was from Samaria. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and then the statement, now he was a Samaritan. Now that, for, that sentence, now he was a Samaritan, is the gospel writer's explanation of um, what he saw, that, it was, that he was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The Jews called the Samaritans half-breeds. Now we know from our stories and movies about the settling of the West that a half-breed was not a very welcome person in society. Samaria was in the land originally allotted to the tribe of Joseph when they settled the promised land. However, when the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity, things changed for parts of Israel. Now, not all the Jews were carried off. The sick and the elderly were left behind at that time. And with the country almost vacant, the few able-bodied people who were left moved into the plantations on the rolling pasture lands of Samaria. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon wanted to destroy the Jewish race and brought in other peoples to the land so as to cause an amalgamation of the races. The ones remaining intermarried with those who were brought in so that the Samaritans were no longer a pure Jewish race. Now, 70 years later, when the Jews returned, the Samaritans came to help rebuild Jerusalem. The Jews called them half-breeds and sent them home, didn't want their help. So the Samaritans built their own temple, which the Jews considered pagan. The feud grew, and by the time of Christ, the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they would cross the river Jordan to avoid going through Samaria, take a much longer route to get where they were going. But Jesus challenged this prejudice more than once during the time of his ministry. Recall the story of the woman at the well. That occurred in Samaria. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you ask a Jew, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And the parentheses says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now that one, that sentence, again, is the author's explanation of why the woman said what she did. Because the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. It was a known prejudice throughout the land. 
Jesus was violating the customs of his day by asking her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink from the well. Now, prejudice runs deep for many people, and it can be used to ostracize anyone who violates the code of prejudice. We see this in John's gospel with the man who was healed from his blindness. This verse says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now these were the parents of the man who was born blind. And Jesus had healed him on a Sabbath day. So that was big trouble. Okay? You just don't heal people on a Sabbath day, according to the Jews. The Jews had called his parents in to ascertain if the man was indeed their son and that he had been indeed born blind. They affirmed that the man was born without sight, but they would not acknowledge anything about his healing because of the threat from the Jews that would put them out of the synagogue. Prejudice used to ostracize. Now, I've personally been accused by more than one leader about my associations with those of whom the leadership were afraid or they didn't like or whatever. I was told once that if I ran with dogs, I would be called a dog, which was in reference to my friendship with a man who had been accused of being a false prophet. Didn't change anything about my friendship, except with those who tried to accuse me. Prejudice is a powerful thing. And it's often used as a weapon. And we should be alert to it when it is. The Jews were so upset with this event that they even got angry with the man who was healed when they asked him about it. They brought him in to question him about his healing. And at one point they asked him, uh, don't you know that this man's a sinner? And he said, "Hi." How can a man who does these kinds of things be a sinner? And they got upset. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. It's a sad situation. At another time, the Jews actually accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. So great was their hatred of these people. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They hated those people. And anybody else that they didn't like must be one of them. The only thing that Jesus said in response to that accusation was that he did not have a demon. He did not deny the accusation of being a Samaritan, even though he certainly was not. He didn't deny that accusation. Why? Why did Jesus let that accusation stand? Well, one thing we know for sure is that Jesus was not concerned about his reputation. Too often we are concerned about our reputation, but we need to remember that our reputation is only what others think about us. And we can't control that. Now, we can make sure that we don't do things to ruin our reputation, but that doesn't mean people are not going to think bad about you. Jesus was known to visit with those who were considered as the dregs of society. He didn't care about his reputation, and as a result, 
The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. His reputation was destroyed because he was doing what he was called to do. He was extending the love of God to all people. As Christians, we like to hold Jesus up as a model for our lives. We talk about how he healed people and how he showed compassion for people and how he attacked the religious people of his day. But his example of being a friend to outcasts is something that is, we just don't like. It's hard for us to measure up to. Most of us sometimes find it difficult to give some money to a street beggar. But we may occasionally dig into our pocket and give something. But to sit down with one of them on the street and offer a listening ear is almost unimaginable. The fear which comes from prejudice is our fence that keeps us separate from those people with whom association may seem objectionable. And that objectionableness runs in many forms. A lot of it is we're taught to fear them, be afraid for our own safety, which is not bad, but it doesn't fall out for every situation that we have. The Jews were prejudiced against the Samaritans, and apparently they could feel the bigotry, because that's what the woman said. So she obviously felt the bigotry. People can sense when there is a negative attitude towards them. They know it instinctively. They can feel it when you have a prejudice. I'll close with a story about the president, about President Thomas Jefferson. You've probably heard it. During Thomas Jefferson's presidency, he and a group of travelers were crossing a river that had overflowed its banks. Each man crossed on horseback fighting for his life. A lone traveler watched the group traverse the treacherous river and then asked President Jefferson to take him across. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on and the two made it safely to the other side of the river where somebody asked the traveler, why did you select the president to ask this favor? The man was shocked. He admitted that he had no idea it was the president of the United States who had carried him across. All I know, he said, all I know is that on some of your faces was written the answer no. And on some of them was the answer yes. His was a yes face. Jesus gave us the example of having a yes face toward those who may be looking to see if there is any possibility that love may still exist in this world. Many of the strangers that we meet on a regular basis, if you pay attention, you can see the fear in their eyes, in their face. Is there any love left in this world? 
Will you begin to ask the Lord to help you develop a yes face so that when they look into your eyes, all they see is the love of God for a lost and dying world? I'm not saying it's easy. The Lord knows that I've turned more people away with my no face than I have accepted with my yes face. But I pray that we all continue to grow in the grace, love, and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we learned last time, his mercies are new every morning. May your mercy, grace, and love be renewed on a daily basis. Amen.